0: We're in this series called That's Not Helpful, and it's about these cliches and things that we say as Christians. I think to try and be helpful a lot of times, and I think other times because we just don't have the words to say. And I don't know how many of you have been victim of unhelpful commentary. I have. Uh, after I had a few kids, I had anxiety kind of rear its ugly head in my life, and my husband's not here in this service, so I can see my husband would tell me Don't worry about it, just don't stress about it. And I just want to tell all of you here and online that if there was a button we could push or like a switch we could flip to just not worry about it, we would choose that, but it's just not that helpful. And so we've been talking about these things that we say, but I wonder if there's things that we don't say, things that we intentionally leave out that are also not very helpful. Kind of like a highlight reel. So if you're in this room and you're not really sure what a highlight reel is, I'll show you an example of one. This is a brother and sister, actually. <laughs> and they're posting this great time they're having at the hockey game. But clearly they're not, their team was down by five and they were not having a great time. but. How often do we also post or convey these highlight reels in our life? Danny spoke last week about Moses and how he had all these like jumbled thoughts in his head and he had begged God to have Aaron speak on his behalf. Uh, but I'm wondering if there's things that we, that we just don't convey that we find ourselves um, just kind of at this crossroads of not being able to, to fix somebody's problems and being too impatient to listen, that we just try to get to the next part. And so when I grew up hearing about Moses, I heard about his highlight reel. And to me, he was kind of a hero of the faith. He was somebody who wrote the Ten Commandments. He wrote a couple books of the Bible. He was a servant of God. And then later we, we read that he part of the Red Sea. And so that's what I want to dive into today in Exodus 14, one through four. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihathoroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Balsaphon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. So the Israelites did this. And I'm going to pause here in the story. And I want to share a little bit with you about my Red Sea experience. I was actually born a couple of blocks away um, at Vancouver Memorial. It was 10.4 pounds of cuteness. This is Tom Lovelace, if you don't recognize the, with the stash. Uh, I grew up in church. In fact, my grandpa was the pastor of Calvary Full Gospel off of Garrison and Mill Plain for 36 years. He actually served as a pastor for 42. My grandma rocked out on the organ every Sunday in her best attire, which was actually her Monday through Saturday attire too. That girl never wore jeans, ever. I never saw her wear anything but a dress. And uh, I grew up with the leadership of Sister Branham and Harriet Hooper. This is Sister Branham. I spoke at my grandpa's church about 10 years ago and snagged a picture with her. I grew up with uh, Christmas plays and church picnics and a solid felt board foundation of my faith. In fourth grade, my parents thought we could be country, so they moved us to Yakult for about a year. <laughs> and then business moved us up north to what I now consider my hometown of Linden, Washington. We immediately got plugged, up, plugged into a church up there, and in my fifth grade summer, I started youth group. I taught Sunday school every Sunday I could, and in the sixth grade summer, I went to church camp, which we were Assemblies of God then, Pentecostal, um, which had a lot of altar calls, and I went up the fourth night in a row to receive salvation for the 500th time, because you just want to be sure. (laughs) And uh, those of you laughing grew up in the same, I know you did, you're my people. (laughs) Uh, But that night, I received the call of God on my life um, to become a youth pastor. And what that looked like for me, um, because it sounds a little churchy, is that I all of a sudden felt this purpose to do youth ministry, and it was followed by a passion to do it. And in fact, that passion was so strong that that's all I pursued from that night forward. And it changed the circle of friends I hung out with, it changed my weekend plans, it changed my summer plans, which were a lot of mission trips um, that you had to raise money for all year, which was really hard. Uh, and then eventually it um, changed where I went after high school. And after high school, I moved to Modesto, California, which is like the armpit of California, it's like nothing there. But I went there to do an internship uh, under some youth pastors that I had known. And about eight months into that internship, I moved back to Seattle, um, Mill Creek actually, and we planted a church much like Kesed. And Northwest University was about 15 minutes away, so I went and I studied at Northwest and I double majored in pastoral ministries and biblical studies, which sounds like a lot, but it was only one extra class. So it wasn't like I was there for extra long. It was like a loophole in the system. So uh, after graduating, I moved back to Linden and I became a children's pastor at my home church uh, while also working for my family business and coaching at my local high school. About two years into that ministry, my family and the business moved us back here to Vancouver and I got plugged in at Grace Church out in Camas as a youth leader and became part of the greeting team there, which landed me my husband, and I do say landed, because if you know us together, he's definitely, he got the short end of the stick in in this marriage. But uh, next month marks our 10th anniversary somehow and four kids later, Here I am. And uh, that, my friends, is 100% true, but it's not at all helpful. Just my highlight reel. I didn't leave any, I left out all of the struggles and the times where I doubted. And so I'm gonna go back and be a little more vulnerable with you and share the parts that I intentionally left out. Like, for example, I was born down the street, but I was not a cute baby. hmm I know, it's okay. You guys were a little nicer. Nine o'clock laughed hard and, like for a long time. I mean, I look like I ate my twin a little bit in that picture. In fact, I asked my mom to bring me a cute picture and an ugly baby picture, and she wrote back, LOL, I'll bring some later. Not, LOL, you, there's no ugly picture. She was like, I'll bring some. And I kid you not, she showed up at my office with two photo albums full of pictures. She's like, oh, there's so many to choose from. What about that one? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so there we have it. Uh, I was—I did grow up in the church, but it was during a time that was really black and white and they didn't teach a lot about grace and mercy. And I found myself with nowhere to put my shame when I inevitably fell in the gray. And I don't really have any more pictures after this, because. Nobody really documents their struggles and defeat. I did attend attend church camp and I did feel the call of God in my life that sixth grade summer. And while I did follow that calling ever since, it didn't stop me from dreaming about what else I wanted to be with my life, like a fashion designer, a fifth grade teacher, and eventually a mom, just not a four, but I'll take it. that Colleen did direct my life and affect my relationships. But because of it, I often felt left out in school and uninvited to places that they knew that good old Lovelace would never find herself in. And I did move to Modesto, but I did not stay willingly. After moving my whole life into a four-bedroom, one-bathroom rambler with ten unbelievably messy girls, I showed up at my parents' hotel room the night before they were driving back to Linden, telling them that I had made a mistake, that I wasn't supposed to be here. This is not where God had me. I mean, I had the arm to the forehead on their bed, like, please, this is not where, like, wherever you guys want me to be, I'll go. Just take me with you. And I'm really thankful for parents that also believed in the call of God in my life and left me there, because to date, that's been one of the greatest experiences in ministry. And I did return to Seattle and plant a church, which some of you, if you've been here from the beginning, is very hard. And uh, I planted, helped plant the youth ministry specifically. And at the time when we started, we had one family with three kids, one of which was of youth group age. So if he was sick, we didn't have a youth group. So there was a lot of pressure to go out and be missionaries in our new hometown. And I was 18 at the time and I was the same age as a lot of high school seniors, and I really struggled with my pride in asking students to come to church. And I found an outlet in coaching, and that kind of helped me kind of be a missionary in Mill Creek. Uh, I did attend Northwest, but I did it with the most credits I could take at the most campuses. I worked multiple jobs while planting the church and was a live-in nanny to twins. And I burnt myself out very quick. And my senior year, I called my dad and I told him it was too hard. I think the class I was in, they were like speaking Hebrew and I hadn't taken a Hebrew class yet. I was like, what is, It, it was, it's really hard. And uh, I told him I just couldn't do it and that I was gonna quit. And again, I'm thankful for parents who believed in me when I did not believe in myself. That or they just didn't want their scholarly money to go to waste, I'm not sure. I'll go with the first part. Uh, And when I became a children's pastor, I thought that I had finally reached where God had called me to be that sixth grade summer. And a few months in, I was really struggling. I was struggling to like it. I was struggling to see my purpose in it. And it was the first time in my life that I really felt like I was out of alignment with where God had had me. And when we moved back to Vancouver, I found myself in my early 20s starting over with just my family as my friends, and my job with Papa Murphy's as really the only stable thing that I had. And it was hard. And, you know, now I found, find myself a mother of four, an accountant, and I speak here at Kesset a couple of times a year. And although I love it, I strangely love accounting, even though I barely graduated high school with, because of math, um, it's not where I thought I would be. It's not where I saw myself that sixth grade summer or pursuing it all those years. And over this past decade, as I've wrestled with God about how I could have gotten it so wrong, where did I mess up? I know that he called me, but it's just not what I thought I would be doing. And I think of all these biblical giants who did all these great things for God and how, how could I have got it so wrong. But then he leads me to the edge of my sea, and he reminds me of my path, one that never was supposed to fit in my timeline or my boxed-in perception of what it looks like. So let's pick up the story here in Exodus 14, verse 15. It says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm gonna harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who's going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud in darkness, it lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. You see, the Israelites had just escaped 400 years of Egyptian slavery. And now they found themselves kind of between a rock and a hard place. The enemy was approaching, but God had told them to turn around and face the sea, which felt like it was enclosing in on them. And I think God did that for two reasons. One, so that they would not miss their path, because I'm sure none of them thought that their rescue plan was through the sea on dry ground. And I know for me in my life, those times that I've asked God, to do something, he has answered me far different than I thought I was telling him to, because sometimes, you know, we get real specific and we, we miss the potential of something far greater. And number two, to redirect them. Sometimes we find ourselves facing the wrong direction. The Israelites that day were facing the um, Pharaoh and his army in everything that was coming up against them, but God wanted them to turn around and face the sea. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same situation of facing our obstacles instead of facing what God has before us. And in verse two, it said that he had them turn back and face it. To those that were in pursuit of them, it made them look like they were in chaos, like they were confused, like they didn't know what they were doing. But God had a plan and his plan was to rescue them through the sea. But he told them they had to turn and face it. And church, that's where I find myself this morning, facing my sea. And if I'm being honest, I've been here for years. We don't always have a clear yes and we don't always have a clear no. Sometimes we just have a wait. And I know that I'm supposed to remain obedient and face my sea. And to others on the outside of my life, Maybe those that knew me in middle school and high school and college think that maybe I I have gotten it wrong, that maybe I failed, that maybe I changed my mind. But in this past decade, God has truly turned me around, and I've never been more confident in the direction that he has placed me in, and I'm okay with waiting. The Israelites crossing the sea that day not only rescued the Egyptians, but it brought God glory. And that's the kind of business that I want to live my life doing. I don't just want to be rescued. I don't just want to do good, and I don't want to accomplish all these things to make the world feel better about what I'm doing with my life. I want to cross the sea and bring God glory doing it. And I'm trusting in Him to part my sea. And I'm realizing that it's not going to be because of all the things that I've done in my life and all the things that I maybe was successful at but I'm also trusting that he's not thinking about not parting my seat because of the things that I don't highlight, my struggles and my unbelief. I'm just trusting him to part it. And to this day, I'm still unsure of what really stepping into that calling looks like for me, but I know that it's no longer dependent on my timeline or what I think it looks like. After I had Tenley, my third kid, uh, I had this conversation with God thinking that she was my last, um, that I was ready to kind of dip my toe in the water again. And if I was supposed to speak or do ministry um, outside of my family, that I was ready. And later that week, Danny walked in my office and said, would you like to speak at Kessid?" And I was like, sure. Yeah, of course. And he walked out and I was like, seriously, God, like, What was that, two days of giving me time? Like sometimes he takes a really long time to answer things and other times it's like that. So I'm stepping through it and I'm walking through it and I'm just trying to be obedient and trying to uh, do my best to not just share the highlights because I know that there are young people upstairs in those classrooms and downstairs below that will hear from God someday if they haven't already. And they need to hear from people like us in this room about not just our highlights, they need to hear the times that we've doubted, that we've struggled, that we've wrestled with situations and how we've overcome them. So that when they face the same type of things, and they will, they'll have seen it before and they'll know that they're not alone. And hopefully we as Kesed would be examples of waiting and facing our seas with obedience. Landing at Kessid this past, I think it's been about seven years for me, has been one of the greatest seasons of faith that I've had in my life. Um, I've loved it, and I have not liked it, and I have um, agreed with things, and I have disagreed with things, and I've been utterly frustrated. And I'm really thankful for that tension that Kessid sometimes helps create in my life because I've been able to take a look at that felt board foundational truth that I've kind of built my life upon and go back to scripture and wrestle with the spirit and say what belongs there, what serves you God and what doesn't. Danny did a series called Untethered a few years back and if you haven't heard it or maybe it's been a few years like myself, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to it and it's all about and tethering from these things that we were never supposed to be tethered to. And um, it's frustrating, to be honest. I mean, I was really spoon-fed the gospel my whole life, and if someone told me to believe this, I would say, okay, you know, Sister Branham, she's not gonna lie to me. Uh, but it was, it was a process for me to really um, pray and do the work that God is asking us to do to develop that relationship that we know is based on truth and not circumstance. And to be okay with being curious. Danny says that a lot from the stage. And I remember talking to him about the fact that I was like, okay, I'm okay with being curious, but like, how long? <laughs> how long are we gonna be curious, Danny? And he's like, with some things I don't know. And I think that's okay. And, you know, I think it's okay that we're waiting for our seas to part, as long as we're doing the work to be able to turn and face the right direction. I used to write a blog, back before I knew you can make money doing it. Some of these people are making a lot of money. Not that I ever would have, because mine was called Not Much of a Dutch, just another Jesus-loving shopaholic stuck in small-town America. I don't know. There's, I mean, (laughs) Linden was a notorious Dutch town, and so I wasn't, and I was like the only one there. I mean, that doesn't even, I don't know why, um, but I was trying to find pictures for my highlight reel that I shared with you in the beginning, and I could not log back into MySpace, I know that totally ages me, but I could not remember my password. I was like, who did I like back in sixth grade? Uh, so I found this blog, and I found a blog that I, a post that I had written about five months after moving back here to Vancouver. I was fresh out of my first ministry experience. I was a little lost here in Vancouver. And I had written this um, post about how I had this profound moment lately. And as I started reading, I was like, okay, I think I was like 25. What profound thing did I have at 25? Um, But it's been, it was about this place of waiting that I found myself in. And I talk about how our life is kind of this like constant place of waiting. We're waiting to be old enough to go to school, we're waiting for middle school to get our lockers, and then high school, and then to graduate, and go to college, and get a job, and get a better paying job, and get a job that maybe doesn't pay as much, but makes you happy, and get married, and you know the drill. And I talk about how I've been in this place of waiting, and. How I feel like I'm just waiting for God to use me greater than He's using me right now. And how I feel like I'm finally in this place where I'm fully trusting Him. And I've stopped yelling at Him to conform to my timeline. And so the profound moment I'm having is that I realize that even though I'm in this space of finally ready and finally trusting and I'm expecting God to kind of give me a pat on the back and give me like the clue to the next part of my life, like amazing race style, like great job, Jen, here you go. Here's your next, here's your next part, um, that it's not about me. And I get that in the worldly sense and I got that then, thank, thank God. Um, but even in the spiritual sense, it's not about me. It's not about my readiness. It's not about how I fully trust him. It's about him. And so, What I thought used to depend on me being spiritually ready and mature or close to perfect in my relationship with God was never really about that. It was all about Him. And at the end of the day and at the end of our lives, it's not whether we failed, but if we followed. And you see, that day when Moses parted the Red Sea, God didn't do it just for him. In fact, I'm not sure if he even did it for Moses. Moses parted that sea that day with a lot of lowlights, a lot of things that he had done in his past, and he parted that sea with a lot of inadequacies. But God didn't part it so that he could feel better about himself. In fact, he didn't even part it just to save the Israelites. He did it, it says in the Bible, to bring him glory so that those that were pursuing them would know that he was Lord. You see, the sea-splitting, it's not for us. It's for him. It's to bring him glory, to reveal him to those that are watching us not only cross it, but are facing it and waiting for him to part it. And I don't have a sea-splitting story for you today. I know some of you are like, okay, and then... I got nothing, I got nothing to highlight or reveal just an honest depiction of where I've been in my life and what God's led me out of and what he's leading me to. And I'm not sure when he'll part the sea for me. You know, Moses was 80 when he parted the Red Sea, and for the next 40 years, he wandered the desert, and he was 120 when he died before not entering the promised land, which is where he saw himself. You know, God is still in the game of using the elderly those who have counted themselves out to lead nations and perform miracles. So regardless of your age this morning, what season of life you find yourself in, would you take an honest reflection right now of where you find yourself facing? Are you running in fear? Are you focused on all the things that are up against you? Have you lost patience to face your sea? So, will you stand with me this morning? I want to recognize that there are people in this room and online that have spent years running, running in chaos and uncertainty, and have even counted themselves out for what God has for you because of the reels that nobody knows about. But God has not counted you out. In fact, The scripture says that before the Red Sea split, the angel of God who had been leading the Israelites moved behind them in order to create a barrier from what was pursuing them and to where God was leading them. And I want you to catch this this morning. If you find yourself lost with a lack of clarity of what God is doing in this world and in your life, don't mistake your lack of sight your lack of clarity for his absence the verse before the parting of the red sea in exodus 14 14 says the lord will fight for you you need only be still and so i'm going to ask for you to do something a little different this morning if you are physically able will you as a representation of turning and facing our seas Will you turn and face that back wall and close your eyes once you've turned so you don't fall on the way there? And as you're doing that, as you close your eyes, I want you to focus not on the things that are coming up against you, not on all the obstacles around you, but on the sea that God has before you. What does that represent in your life? What sea are you facing? Is it a breakthrough in your marriage? Is it taking the first step in trusting God's best for your life? Is it what God has called you out of and preparing to bring you to? As I pray over us today, will you just allow yourself to feel this awkwardness, how vulnerable this feels? And will you allow God to speak to you? Will you let God fight for you in this moment and make a conscious effort to just be still let's pray. God, I just thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for uh, those who have come with a lot of stories, a lot of background, a lot of reels, God, and I thank you that they're still coming. I thank you that you are still in the business of parting seas. And although we may not see your timeline, God, that as people of Kessig, God, as people that want to know you more and want to bring you glory doing it, I just thank you that um, you've, you're teaching us patience and you're teaching us curiosity and to ask questions and to want the best that you have for us. And I just pray for the people in this room, whatever see that they're facing, God, I pray that they would be patient in the waiting. And I pray that as they're waiting, that you would speak to them that they would not lose sight of the path that you have before them, God. And that we would be a church that doesn't need to fill in the silence with all these cliches and trying to fix the problem, but we would be a church that's willing to listen, uh, willing to be vulnerable and not just share our highs, but also share our lows and just sit with that. And I thank you that you are the same God that you were that day when you led the Israelites across the sea and you're the same God now and you are faithful and you are good. And we just praise you for that God. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You can turn back around. I want to thank you for coming this morning. And um, there's a little bit of sun maybe, so there's no, so you still have a chance to have a good day. So thanks for coming and we'll see you next week.